Lynn Hiles Ministries presents Dr. Lynn Hiles That You Might Have Life. And here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. God bless you and welcome back to the program again today. I trust you have been tuning in and watching every week. We have finished four segments talking about um, Hebrews chapter 11 and I've had my son with me on the, the set these last several weeks. Probably see him for a couple of more weeks. We're going to really dig into this 11th chapter of Hebrews. It's good to have you on the program, Jeremy. I believe the magic's always there when we're on together and we really said some stuff. <laughs> and if you've missed any of it, you'd like to go back, especially last week, I thought was phenomenal. And you'd like to go back and, uh, you know, uh, review some of the things we've said. I've taught this over, you know, a period of the last year and a half on the program. But everything we've aired to date is archived on our YouTube channel. And the easiest way, <coughs> excuse me, to, go, to, to get it is to go to linhouse.com and then you see also on the screen our website will be up. But when you go to our website, there is a link directly to our YouTube page. As a matter of fact, the opening page has the TV program and the set right there on it. All you have to do is click on it. It'll take you directly to our YouTube page where you can watch anything we've aired to date is archived there. There is also a podcast, an iTunes feed. If you'd like to sign up for the podcast, it's free. Uh, just go there and you can download it, stream it. If you don't, you say, well, I don't have uh, iTunes. I've got an uh, Android device. There is a link on our website to the RSS feed for Android so you can get the audio portions of this and the video portions of this. We encourage you, if you want to, to share it in your Wednesday night services. Some of the churches we're in relationship with will use this as teaching material in their uh, Wednesday night meetings. So uh, I believe you'll be blessed by it. We've been talking about the 11th chapter of Hebrews and we're going to get right back into that again this week. But to set the stage again, uh, we, Hebrews 11 starts out by saying, now faith is the substance of things hoped for. It is the evidence of things not seen. Uh, what we started showing you is from Hebrews, the 10th chapter on, these men, these Hebrews, literal Hebrews in the first century were being written to because 30 some years into the new covenant and they are still wanting to go back to Judaism. Not only are they wanting to go back to Judaism, but they are being pressured and they're being, uh, the, their goods are being spoiled. Their friends are dying in arenas. They're suffering persecution from Nero and from the Romans and from even from, you know, the, the Sanhedrin and from the religious system. So they're getting it from both sides. And uh, whoever the writer of the book of Hebrews is says to them, listen, we're not of them who draw back to perdition, but to them who believe to the saving of the soul. Because the whole thing about this is about faith bringing you into a better covenant with better promises and better uh, a tabernacle, better everything. Mm -hmm. uh, but when he does that, he starts to say to them, listen, now what I want you to do is take your focus off of your immediate problems and look at your heroes of faith. And he begins this 11th chapter of Hebrews by talking about these heroes of faith who all did something in the visible realm that was a type and shadow of the redemptive work of Christ. And we've covered several of them from Abel to Enoch and a couple weeks on Noah, which was, I think, powerful stuff. And we showed how every one of these men were doing something in the realm of shadow that was only a type or a picture of the redemptive work of Christ. Yeah. 
But for us and for them, see, they were coming into now. This is no longer, we're not, we're not waiting anymore. Yep. We've been waiting for 1,500 years or better. But now faith is the substance. Yep. So we're not believing because we believe God's going to do something redemptive. We believe because He already has done something redemptive. And it's upon that that He begins to get their focus off of their immediate problem. Look at their heroes of faith. And then He says to them, Hebrews 12, listen, let us lay aside every weight. Talking about carrying this old covenant performance burden paradigm. Let us lay aside the sin. The sin is not just, I, I said something bad last night I shouldn't have said. The sin was they were about to miss the mark of this new covenant. He's saying, let, let us lay aside the, the, the weight and the sin that does so easily beset us. Let's look unto Jesus, who's the author and finisher of our faith. So he's saying to them, listen, what we're going to really do is take our focus off of this, put it on Jesus, because He is the substance of the thing we hope for. He's the evidence of the thing not seen. And all of these men did something in the visible realm that was a picture of the redemptive work of Christ. So we're going to cut down through, you know, we've already dealt with uh, Noah and some of that. So we're going to jump in in verse 8. It says, By faith Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed, and he went out not knowing whether he went. By faith he sojourned in the land of promise as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Now I want to really talk about this, because it says by faith he sojourned, he lived like a stranger right in the land of promise. And God had made a promise that I'm going to give this land to, your, to, your, to you and your offspring and to your seed that will come after you. And they dwelt in temporary tabernacles with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I believe he's talking, you know, uh, again, pointing these people who are in transition, saying to them, you all are sojourning. You're living like strangers right in the land of promise. Because the land of promise in the new covenant is not a piece of real estate. And it's not heaven. Hebrews 4 tells you it is rest in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Hebrews 4 says, listen, they did not enter into the promised land, and he calls that promised land rest because they didn't mix the word with faith. See, the moment you believe what we're preaching is the moment rest is going to come, and you're going to stop striving and enter into the rest of God where everything flows like milk and honey. But here's Abraham, the Bible said, who was looking for a city whose builder and maker is God. And I can remember, Jeremy, growing up, you probably don't even remember some of these songs, but we'd sing songs like, I'm a looking for a city. And we would preach that city like it's over yonder in heaven one of these days after we die. And so we would use Hebrews 11, for Abraham, look for a city whose builder and maker is God. But if you go one more chapter, the chapter I'm talking about where they, he was telling them to focus, look unto Jesus, He's the author and finisher of our faith. Abraham was looking for what was about to be offered to these people in this first century. Because in the latter part of Hebrews 12, he says, For you did not come to Mount Sinai. That's where the law was given. You did not come to the Old Covenant. You did not come to blackness and darkness. You did not come to a God who says, Stay away. You did not come to fear and trembling. See, that's the God we bring people to every Sunday morning. Yep. 
It says, for you did not come to Mount Sinai. You did not come to blackness. You didn't come to a God who says, if you touch the edge of the mountain, you're going to be thrust through with the dark. But you have come. You're not coming to, but you are come. Talking about this new covenant. You're not marching design. For he says in Hebrews 12, we're going to, I'm going to deal with that chapter you know, in the future somewhere. But he said, you are, you have, you're not marching to Zion, yeah. but you are come to Mount Zion, and you have come to the city of the living God. Yeah. So the city Abraham was looking for was a new covenant people of God. Zion is not just a mountain somewhere. It, in contrast to Sinai, you didn't come to Sinai. In other words, you didn't come to Old Covenant. You didn't come to law. You didn't come to fear and trembling, but you've come to Zion. There's oil and wine in Zion. Yep. We're not marching to Zion. That's, that's a picture of the new covenant that we now live in. And so uh, when he says, you've come to the city of the living God, you've come to an innumerable company of angels, a feastal gathering of angels. You've come to the general assembly of the church of the firstborn, which is written in heaven. And you've come to God, the judge, uh, uh, the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect. So he said, you've come to that. Yep. So what I want to really kind of focus on in this segment is Abraham was looking for a city. But we should be living in that city, or we, sh we are that city, really. You know, when you read in, you know, so much to this is just unpacking a 20-something minute segment, but when you read Revelation 21, he says, I'm he said, come here, I want to show you the bride, the lamb's wife. So the first thing he's declaring in Revelation 21 is, I'm going to show you the bride, the lamb's wife. And then he says, and I looked and behold, a city was coming down from God out of heaven as a bride adorned. Mm -hmm. And the voice said, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. So there's three things there. He's first of all said, I'm going to show you the bride. The bride of Christ is not a place. It's a people. And then he's, when he looks for this bride, he sees a city. I submit to you that the city is the bride. It's not a place. It's a people. And Matthew, Jesus said, you're a city set on a hill that can't be hid. In Revelation 3, he says, I will write upon the overcomer the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, which is New Jerusalem. To him that overcometh, I'm going to write that. So he's not talking about a place. He's talking about a people. And the third thing he uses to symbolize this is he says, behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. So the city is a people. See, the tabernacle of God is not just a building anymore. It's a, it, it, you're the tabernacle yeah. of God. Yeah. See, everything shifts in the New Covenant. Everything in the Old Covenant was tangible, natural, literal buildings. He said, I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the former things are passed away. We talked about that in the last segment a little bit, that the new heaven and the new earth is the new covenant. That the old heaven and the old earth that passed away was their old temple because that was the place where Bethel, heaven and earth met. That was the gate of heaven. It was to the Jewish mindset where God met with men was at their temple or their tabernacle. It was their land, their covenant. Everything had to do with that old covenant. But that old heaven and old earth passed away. A new heaven and a new earth came on the scene. That's symbolism of the new covenant. And then old Jerusalem was about to fade off the scene and be destroyed, and a new Jerusalem, the bride, the lamb's wife, was about to come on the scene. The, the third thing is the tabernacle of God is with men. God was about to move out of this building into this building. Everything about this was what Abraham was looking for. I love how the Message Bible says it, and I'm going to throw it over to you just a little bit here, Jeremy. But the Message Bible says it like this. It says, 
it says, look, look, God has moved into the neighborhood. He's made his home with men. He's their God. There is people. God will wipe tears from their eyes. No more sorrow, no more crying. He's really talking about the stuff that's creating tears and sorrow from an old covenant paradigm. And what he's saying is, God has moved in the neighborhood. He, God, God no longer lives in that building. God lives in this building. And I could just shout when I think, God doesn't live in that city. God lives in the city that we are. We're the city that the apostles built on the foundation of apostles. If your church is not built on apostolic foundation, it's not the city of God. But we are the place where God Himself dwells and lives, and out of that city there's a river that runs out of it. Abraham was looking for a city, but we are that city, that new covenant people of God. We are, he was looking for it, but Hebrews 12 says we've come to it. Yeah. Jump in there. I know, I, I hope I've left you something there to say. Well, you know, when you, when you study some of the history of things, uh, that where, the, ta where the, the original Jewish tabernacle was built, where the holy place was and the ark would sit, is actually believed to be set, the ark would actually set on the very place that Jacob would laid his head down when he was, uh, when mm -hmm. he was fleeing from Esau. And he laid his head down and he had a dream where a ladder was ascending to heaven and angels ascending and descending. And he woke up from that dream and he said, surely the Lord was in this place and I knew it not. And he built an altar there as a reminder of, you know, and did a sacrifice because he had seen the Lord, you know, he found the place where the Lord was. And like you said, you know, we talk about the tabernacle, God, I think one of the scriptures says that, no, you're not, you are the tabernacle of the Most Holy Place. You're, in other words, you're the place that God lives now. He's not looking for, for uh, buildings made of stone and, and, and wood. He's looking for a people that he could have lived in, you know, seeing that the heavens were his throne, the earth was his footstool. Where is the house you will build for me? In other words, he wasn't asking David to build him necessarily a tabernacle that he could come and dwell like, here's a house I built for you. But what he was saying is the only place, that's all mine is what he was saying. But the only place that, that has a free will or a, play, a, a way to receive him is you. So it's you were the house he was looking to be built for him, the mm -hmm. place he could move into and live and breathe and have his being. And so when I, but I think about that, the, 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 new, temp, the, the new temple, the new Jerusalem, the new place is not a place but a people. What will cause us to really, where that to become reality, is when we begin to really understand and see a vision of Christ in you, the hope of glory. Because if you ever see a vision of Christ in you, the hope of glory, where the glory of God ascends and descends upon you as a people, and even you as a person, what will happen is you will say, you will realize, surely the Lord was in this place, and I knew it not. You know, I hear people use that scripture all the time, that there is therefore no, no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. And I hear grace people use it for, you know, when people start to like point out things in their life, well, I'm not, you know, it, there's no condemnation. But see, that word condemnation is really a building term. And either, in other words, if a house is condemned, it means it's uninhabitable, no one can live there. You can't, you know, it's too unsafe to live in. But if there is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus, what he's saying is, is that I've moved in here, this house is inhabitable, I can live here, it's safe for me to dwell here. And I think some people really need to awaken to that identity and realize that you are a habitation that's safe for God to live in. You're not condemned anymore. Mm -hmm. You're not, you know, in other words, we think that God is, is so far removed from us because we have been given such a sin consciousness, such a, 
you know, in other words, you know, God really a lot of times is dwelling in us even when we think we are strangers and alienated from him. Yeah, God doesn't, you know, the, the, I think it was the Apostle Paul said, what can separate us from the love of God? And the conclusion of that is there's really nothing that can separate him from you because God, I think you preached it before, God's a stalker. He's going he's gonna to hunt you down. He's going to follow you no matter where you mm -hmm. go because he's always on the lookout for you. And he's looking to, let, to awaken you to this identity that, man, I, you are an habitation I'm willing to dwell in. But you've got to begin to change, have a mind change, a repentance, this, you know, uh, an awakening to this identity that this is really who you are and the other stuff is a lie. And so I think when you begin to awaken one day, in other words, I think what happens is if you don't realize that you are the habitation of God, it's like Adam. Adam had a deep sleep fall upon him. And in the middle of that deep sleep, I think it was uh, Pastor Dan Keister said he had a bad dream in which he saw a the nightmare. world, a nightmare in which he saw the earth was cursed and they weren't living in the garden. But Jesus came to awaken us out of that dream and put us back into a place where we could dwell in that garden. If you're living in a place where you don't see that he is ascending and descending, he's dwelling inside yep. of you, that he's, he's, he's made you right, that he's removed the yep. condemnation, then you haven't awakened from your nightmare yet. But what if we uh, begin to awaken, you know, uh, uh, the scripture says, awake to righteousness yep. and sin not. If we're living in a place where sin is dominating our life, we're still living in that sleep. But something's got to become to awaken us to righteousness, awake to our righteousness and realize that there is no power to sin anymore. See, I think this, it, it's powerful. You know, sometimes I think in church we preach sin more powerful than uh, the righteousness. Oh, yeah. You know, we preach that like that's the struggle that, we got, that, that we're just living in. We've got to fight it every day. The truth of the matter is sin is not more powerful than the righteousness that dwells inside of you. Mm -hmm. Because you are no longer a sinner. That's not your identity. You weren't made in the image and likeness of sin anymore. You've been made the righteousness of God. That's your true identity. So that means if that's your identity, that's more powerful than the sin you're living in. It's more powerful than, than, than uh, in other words, you wake into this righteousness. The things that so easily beset you are not going to beset you anymore. Mm -hmm. You're going to realize that there's a strong man living in my house and he's able to cast out the thief, in other words, mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. You know, I, we talk too, you know, we talk a lot about that we're living in the promised land right now. And that, you know, that, that the kingdom Select of God isn't coming. Yeah. It, it's here. It's available. And one of the things people always say to us is, well, how can you say that? Because look at the bad stuff in there. Look at all this bad stuff when you turn on. How can you say that this is the promised land, this is heaven? In other words, and really they get almost mad because they'll say, if this is it, I'm being robbed. But you know what? When, they were in, when the children of Israel were in the promised land, or were in the wilderness, before they entered into the promised land, God told them there's giants there. Yeah. There are some inhabitants. There's some things you're going to have to... He calls dis it dispossessed. Dispossessed. Stop them. owning it. Yeah. And I think one of the things that we, we do is that we're living... You know, Abraham lived in a city. He lived in this promised land like a stranger. And they dwelt in tabernacles with him and his sons. Didn't realize where they really were to some extent. But it was something that was going to be given to their seed. I think sometimes our, we've been preached to so much about what... You know, like it's magic. God just shows up and... Rather than realizing, you know, there is a finished work. Jesus finished his work. But there's still some work that's still done. In other words, Jesus finished his work, but Jeremy still has some work. Mm -hmm. There's still some stuff I have to do. And yep. what it is, is I have to get, begin to dispossess some things 
from my house, yeah. from the possessions that are there for me. Yes, there are things in the world that makes it look like we're not living in the promised land, but those things are only there to keep some stuff until we arrive. Yeah. In other words, if you begin to realize, you know, like we said in a couple uh, episodes before, when the children of Israel came to Jericho and saw a walled city, the mindset could be that, well, this isn't what Jesus told, this isn't what God said. This isn't a problem. There's a walled city here, and those people are, they got a stronghold. But that stronghold wasn't really to keep, you know, in other words, it wasn't, they weren't there like as a, you, the enemy that was inside there was really hiding. They were scared of what was yeah. outside that wall. Yeah, they already knew they were they done knew for. They the moment they crossed the Red Sea, they said, we heard of you 40 years ago. You know, so we sometimes, but we sometimes have been taught so much. We see things in this earth as a stronghold that's undefeatable. But, you know, the scripture says the gates of hell will not prevail. What we have to begin to do is change our mindset that, you know, in other words, we're not even going to go fight the gates of hell. It's just simply walking in in the identity and understanding of who we are and what is ours to possess. You know, when they walked up to that city of Jerusalem, they just, or, or not Jerusalem, when they walked up to that city of Jericho and saw those walls, they had to keep their mouth shut about some stuff and they had to begin to be obedient to God and just do what he told them to do because the victory wasn't coming by might, it was coming by the power of the one that gave it to them. You know, in other words, who was going to knock down the walls was not going to be the children of Israel. What was going to knock down the walls was going to be the Spirit of Christ or the Spirit of God, it was going to be God that, that caused the victory. Mm -hmm. And so when we begin to really change our mind, you know, if we, look, we can look in this world and we can see walled cities and not enter in and not receive what God wants us to have. And we can live here as strangers, living in tents rather than living in the houses that God wants us to have. Or we can change our mind and begin to see those walled cities as this is simply the place that God's going to cause his first victory. To show us this isn't about might or no power, but it's by his spirit. It's about something inside of us. Again, you are the city that God's dwelling in. You are the place that God lives. And when we begin to operate in the power of what that means, awaken to righteousness, we walk into places and the walls fall not without our fighting it, without us anointing it and praying over it and casting it out and binding it up and all the things we've been told to do and simply just showing up and letting God do what he wants to do. You know, I told our people the other day, I said, you know, sometimes we've looked at the Bible as a formula of what we're supposed to do rather than as a relationship. Yeah. You know, when Jesus walked into a place, he never did something the same way twice. And he would begin to ask the Father what, you know, in other words, he was led by the Spirit of God. Sometimes we begin to live by a formula rather than by the Spirit of God. Begin to ask the Lord, who is our Father. I told our people, I said, you know, that you know, you need to go home. The woman needs to be silent, and if she has a question, go home and ask her husband who is at home. And one of the things we've not done is kept our mouth shut. We, we've, we've spouted off everything that's been a formula instead of just shutting up and asking our husband who is at home in our life. Our husband, Christ. Our yeah. husband, Christ. That's not talking about women in yeah, your church yeah. can't talk. And yeah. Talking about every one of us who are married to Christ, beginning to ask our husband who is at home in our lives. Yeah. How do we handle this situation? You know, how do I begin to react to this? In other words, if I got children, you know, we, we, we use a formula. You know, if I, if I spare this rod, I'm spoiling my child. You know, rather than, you know, not every time that my child messes up, do I bring the rod. Sometimes I bring to her, I sit down and begin to talk about some stuff. Or I begin to see it from her perspective, and I talk, you know, and, and handle it in different ways. Sometimes it may not be a woman, sometimes it might be staying in the corner. You know, or I, but, you know I, but it's a relationship. In other words, we don't ask the Lord, our father, or our husband, who is at home, how to handle some situations. You know, instead of always wanting to correct our kid with the rod, maybe we need to ask the Lord, how do I handle this child? 
Yeah. How do I correct They're them? They're all how do different. I, yeah. How do I awaken them to their identity? How do I get them to see, you know, why it is I want them to behave certain ways or to be certain ways? I begin to explain to my daughter the reason why I correct you. The reason why I, I tell you these things is because you're going to one day represent me. And I said, the rest of the world may, ha may, may have a skewed vision of who Christ is, but I want you to understand why we are the way we are, why we serve the Lord, why we pray when we eat, why we do the things we do, why we go to church, because it really is the, the, the means of heaven invading our earth. Yep. That, you know, in other words, we talked about this a couple weeks ago. My grandfather was an alcoholic. He, his life was a path of destruction, and it was taking our family on a path of destruction. But he made a decision to serve the Lord that forever changed the course of history for us that I never knew that lifestyle. All I've ever known is the kingdom of heaven and, and, and really the goodness of God following me all the days of my life. And so for me, when I begin to correct and I begin to uh, speak to my child, it's, it's from that perspective to know this is why we do what we do because it gives us the best life that God really brought us from a life of destruction into we are blessed and we are living a good life today because of the decision that somebody made to serve the Lord and pass that on to us. This is the inheritance. This is, will I one day maybe leave monetary valuable stuff to my child? Probably, but that's not the most yep. important thing I want to leave to them. What I want to leave is the inheritance that my grandfather and that you have passed on to us that's really beginning to be a compound of riches that has forever made us rich even if at times we didn't have a lot of monetary we've had real riches where it's the Lord who has sustained us it's the Lord that has blessed us and given us this good life that there's something that when you begin to change your mind and begin to realize who you are that where God is dwelling at where he's living at this city that we are then you begin to be the city of God and began to transport, you know, I think you preached that uh, you begin to export some goods to the world. Yep. In other words, it's the leaves uh, of the tree that's for the healing of the nations. So we need to export some stuff out of what God has imparted into us. We've been like people that's taken a light instead of shining for men, we've hidden it under a bush. Yep. But it's time to be, really begin to let the light of Christ that's inside of us begin become kingdom exporters instead of kingdom consumers and it all speaks about being in Christ. I was thinking one just one quick thing I want to say is when Jacob was at that place where the stone was at he said this is none other than the gate of heaven and this is Bethel yeah. and he said I saw the angels of God ascend and descend there at Bethel, the house of God. Yeah. Jesus later uses that very terminology. He said, from henceforth you will see the angels of God ascend and descend on the Son of Man. So the Son of Man, Jesus, was the Bethel. He was the new tabernacle, the new temple of God, that when we live in Him, that's where the angels of God ascend and descend. And when we're in Him, we're new creations. We're a new heaven and a new earth. We're a new city. We're a new bride. Where, where everything has been made new and there is a river that flows out of it and everything it touches lives. We're about to run out of time. If you have enjoyed this, take a moment to call the number on the screen. We do need your help. As you know, we don't spend a lot of time talking about money, but we do need your support to be able to do what we're doing. So if you'd like to help us, call the number on the screen. There's somebody standing by that can take your call. If you don't get an answer, leave a message. We will return your call. Uh, the easiest way to do this, go to our website and go. there's a place there where you can give via credit card or debit card, or you can give via check through the mail 
and a address will come up on the screen where you can mail that to. Uh, I trust you've enjoyed it. While you're at our website, take a look at some of our products. When you buy them, that's how it helps us take the gospel around the world. Tune in again next week. God bless you for joining us. The word repentance means to change your mind. The message of John the Baptist and of Jesus was to repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is accessed by a change in our thinking. If you are in outer darkness, there is weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. That reality is not always out in the distant future. It is in people's lives right now. One simple mind shift can move you out of darkness and weeping and into light and rejoicing. God wants to wipe all tears from our eyes and replace our weeping with joy.